So tonight we're going to be looking at gender differences. Uh, the, the theme of our evening is family night, and so we deal with children and issues regarding the family. And so tonight uh, I thought I'd explore a little bit about gender difference. Now, I don't need to spend any time discussing the very obvious aspects of the differences between the genders in terms of anatomy and physiology, really. So what we're going to look at is, are the differences in gender that are a little more subtle, those that are significant but are not easily observable. And so I've titled the lesson, Gender Differences More Than Skin Deep. And what we're going to really do is try to consider some of the important non-physical differences between men and women. And there are a, a number of issues we could delve into that regarding the differences between the genders, between men and ladies, between boys and girls that are not physical, that take us into more intangible areas. Now, I, I don't know if, that, if we, it would be appropriate to call these uh, differences extending into the soul and the spirit. That's really beyond my pay grade to define it that well, but we can say that it certainly extends beyond some of the obvious areas. Now, I'd also like to say that <clears throat> there are, there are, what we're talking about tonight are patterns. They're strong patterns. They're general patterns. Occasionally, you see exceptions, and, but the exception does not invalidate the general pattern. And so we don't want to get caught up in, well, what about this person over here, or what about that person over there? Of course, there are general exceptions that, that, that do exist. Now... Some of the sources that I've drawn from to prepare this lesson are a couple of people that I've been reading that, uh, that deal in this area. Uh, one of them is not, I, I don't know that this person is even a Christian. They, their writings don't quote any Bible passages or anything of this nature. But in reading what they have to say, it was easy for me to perceive that this person was, this, this author, he was clearly operating with a sense of, of, of Bible principle, even though he didn't have any, he didn't elucidate that in his work. So I won't go into all the details of where I've derived some of these ideas from, but they really are biblically based. And I think we, I could spend a lot more time on the Bible foundation for the things I'm going to share with you tonight. And I think these are really useful and valuable. Furthermore, as we talk about these issues tonight, there's a tendency for 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 all of us, and for me as I speak, probably to lapse into a marriage relationship and look at the differences in the context of a husband and a wife, because that's such a key and fundamental relationship, and it's such a common relationship, and that's where many of these tensions begin to emerge in that relationship. But these are principles and guidelines and observations that we can make that are, involve single people, whether you're young and unmarried or whether you are no longer married anymore and you're a widow or a widower or whatever your circumstance of life, these principles still apply, even though we may be looking at it within the context of marriage. All right, so with those general introductory thoughts, let me just dive into our lesson here and start on our first point. Now, we've got four major points and some concluding remarks, and I pray that you'll really pay attention to the first one, because I think in many respects it's sort of the springboard for the other three, all right? All right, 
Item number one, and this is the way I've phrased it. Men find fulfillment in achievement, while women find fulfillment in relationships. Men find fulfillment in achievement, while women find fulfillment in relationships. It's not to say that a man doesn't find some fulfillment in a relationship, or a woman doesn't find some fulfillment in achievement, but generally speaking, men are wired for achievement, and women are wired innately for relationships. Now, for men, achievement is defined in terms of dominion and power. Dominion and power. You can see this emerge with children as young as toddlers. In fact, I saw this display just the other day. Um, in fact, if I may, I, I asked a question. It was, it's somebody here. It was, it was Kyle. Where's Kyle? It was, it was a, just a modest display of their children in their twins, a boy and a girl. And these, neither one of them are really doing a lot. They're, I don't know, nine, ten months old. And the little boy was showing a lot of aggressive action. And I said, boy, he's really a go-getter or something like that. And he said, yeah, yeah, he chases his sister around. She's afraid of him. Well, he was already displaying a little bit of an aggressive nature. Now, that aggressive nature uh, that, that he has is, is, is innate. It's just, it's just emerging. It's going to always be there, and it needs to be channeled properly as he grows older in, a, in productive directions. So any, at any rate, men are see uh, uh, our, our, our fine fulfillment and achievement, and this achievement for men is defined in terms of dominion and power. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'll get to that in a moment. But men often see relationships now as a stepping stone toward dominion. In fact, one young man during this particular festival, just this week, was telling me about his vision regarding the family. And he was explaining how he saw his relationship with his wife. He described it in a way that made it sound like the, the reason that he got a wife is because he wanted children. Well, that's good, but probably most women aren't going to express it that bluntly because he saw children as dominion and power. And he really expressed that. I need children so I can take dominion. Well, that's, that's fine. And so he said, well, in order to get children... I need a wife. I've got to have a relationship. So even with men, the relationship that they seek often is defined in terms of what they can do with that relationship as a stepping stone toward dominion. Now, that's not really wrong. In fact, I wouldn't say it's wrong at all because men are, are dominion-oriented and they ought to be. Now, we can start in Genesis 1.26 with the general verse known as the dominion mandate. But if you take a few minutes with me, and we'll look at a few verses in Scripture to understand this dominion mandate and understand how men are really hardwired in this direction. Let's just touch base with a couple of well-known stories in scriptures. These are stories from the book of Genesis. I'd like to give you a couple of stories here. You may recall in Genesis chapter 27 the tension between Jacob and Esau. Now this tension reaches a high point in their young lives at the time of the blessing. In Genesis chapter 27, verse 40, Isaac finally comes up with something to say to Esau after giving the primary blessing to Jacob. And Isaac says to Esau, By thy sword shalt thou live and serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion 
that thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. You see, for Esau and Jacob, dominion was important. Dominion, power, that was important to them. And that's innate and that's perfectly natural. You'll see this in other places. For example, if we flip over a few pages, you'll see in Genesis 32, and we jump forward in Jacob's life to the story of when Jacob was wrestling with the angel. And in Genesis 32, verse 28, Jacob manages to extract, <laughs> in all of this effort, wrestling with this man, he, he compels, he, 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 he compels a blessing to be given. And here's the blessing in verse 28. Thy name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. That was a blessing. Power is important. Dominion is important. Genesis 37. We can continue. Here's another story you'll recall. Genesis 37 and verse number 8. You might uh, remember the story of the twelve sons of Jacob. And there was tension between them. And the elder brothers didn't like it that Joseph seemed to be getting a lot of attention. But you see, Jacob saw that there was something excellent in Joseph. And so Jacob was casting certain favors in his direction. And then we have this verse 8. Their response to Joseph when he was describing how he was going to have dominion and power over his big brothers. Verse 8, his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. So, in many respects, it's, it's completely natural and normal for men, for males, to have this sense of achievement in terms of power and dominion. And we can go further in Genesis 49. I mean, there's lots of wonderful principles you can extract just from the book of Genesis. There's so much in the book of Genesis. You really need to study the book of Genesis deeply. Genesis 49.3 at the end of Jacob's life, he has this to say about Reuben. He says, Reuben, thou art, thou art my firstborn, my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. These are all the things that Reuben ought to display. But then he goes on to say, but you're unstable. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not going to rise to your potential. You have outstanding potential, but because you are unstable, all of that, much of that will go unfulfilled. All right, so anyway, our first general point about men is they, they, they look at the world in terms of dominion and power, and they seek achievement in this direction. Now, for ladies, for women, relationships. We find that it's relationships that women are interested in. Relationships bring intimacy and connectivity, connectivity, I'm not sure if that's a real word, I think it's a real word, that's what I'm using, all right, relationships bring intimacy and connectivity, women often see achievement as a stepping stone to being better connected, all right, it's not that women aren't interested in certain types of achievement, but they seek achievement for other reasons, the achievement allows them to accomplish 
goals in terms of increasing their connectivity to others that are important to them. They're going to be better connected. Now, I need you to follow with me very closely as we look at this principle and a few passages in the Bible. Now, if we go to the beginning and we look in Genesis chapter 2, I want you to look with me very closely at a verse that is very familiar. And maybe I can share with you a few thoughts that might be a little bit different aspect of this simple statement. You'll recognize it. In Genesis 2, in the story of uh, the creation and the formation of Adam and Eve, in verse 18, we find this. The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make an helpmeet for him. All right, we've heard that many times. So Eve and women are meant to be a helpmeet to their husbands. What does that mean, and how do the husbands and wives see this because they actually are looking at this relationship of being helpmeet in slightly different ways. Now for the man, the helpmeet, whoever the helpmeet is, maybe we could say it's an assistant. All right. For the man, the assistant, the helpmeet, is to help him in his achievement, you see. His focus is still achievement, and now he has a helpmeet to help him achieve power and dominion. In the case of Adam, we presume the power and the dominion was to dress and keep the garden at that point. But for the lady, now the lady has some interest in the goal, the larger dominion of dressing and keeping the garden, but you see the lady has to funnel, the helpmeet funnels herself through the man and is dependent on the relationship. The man has some ability to achieve the dominion with or without the helpmeet. But the helpmeet, in order to achieve their potential, has to, is dependent on that relationship with the man. And so they are relationship-oriented. Now, you say, well, that's not very convincing, and you're reading an awful lot into that verse. Well, I probably am. I probably am. But just bear with me, all right? So if that's poor exegetical hermeneutics, just... Just say, okay, we'll cross that verse off. Let's move on to the next. All right? So let's try this one. Also very familiar. We're very familiar with the temptation in the garden. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. All right? We know this one. The serpent. This is the deceiver. This is Satan. That old dragon, the Satan. And uh, that old serpent, the dragon. And so, um, of course, now we know <laughs> that... Uh, this is Satan, and he is appearing unto Eve, probably as an angel of light. But it says in verse 4, The serpent said unto the woman, Thou shalt not surely die, for God doth know in the day eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now the question you could ask is, what was Eve hoping to gain in this relationship that she now began with the serpent? What was she hoping to gain? Well, there was, there was something in relationship-oriented that she was hoping to gain. Now, it's possible that she was actually thinking, since the serpent persuaded her that she would be likened to gods, all right, you shall be as gods, that, that Eve thought that she would actually improve her relationship with Jehovah in this action. Now, again, I'm reading a lot into that. But go to now verse 16. 
and we begin to look at the, the curse that fell upon the woman. Now, at the end of verse 16, we have the woman in verse 16. God says, all right, you're going to be punished. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. Now pay attention. It says, thy desire shall be to thy husband. Thy desire shall be to thy husband. Now, desire is, is, is an interesting word here. It tells us, you know, if you take the word desire and you look in Hebrew, you come up with a couple of different synonyms that, are, that, that, that work quite well and, and, and fit with desire. Desire is not a bad word. It's not the wrong word. But the word longing is often used. The woman has a longing and a desire for her husband. Now, to what, she, she's seeking a connection with her husband. There's a connectivity that she's wanting and longing for that's going to be difficult. It's going to be more difficult now than ever before. It's going to be, in many respects, maybe a little bit of an unfulfilled longing or a desire that's difficult to be fulfilled and difficult to be met. Now... <clears throat> Hold on to that thought as we explore that a little further. Before we're done with this lesson, there'll be some other verses that I think will, will, will add some support to this idea that women see achievement as a stepping stone to being better connected, and women are really seeking relationships, and relationships bring intimacy and connectivity, and that's what women are wired to desire. All righty? Turn with me for a moment to Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 16. All right. This verse contrasts men and ladies. Proverbs 11, verse number 16. It says, A gracious woman retaineth honor, and strong men retain riches. Now, there's a couple of important words in this passage. Honor and riches. Okay, women retain honor. A strong woman, a gracious woman retains honor. A strong man retains riches, wealth. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Wealth, riches. I don't want to digress down this road, um, but when men are hardwired to seek dominion and power and wealth, that in and of itself is not evil. It is not bad. It is too common that people make the mistake and assume that poverty in and of itself is virtuous and wealth and riches in and of itself is evil. And that is not biblical. Amen. It is wrong to, to make that kind of an assumption. And the reason we tend to do it is because we often see so many examples of the people that, we, uh, that, that have wealth, they don't manage it very well from our point of view. The reality is probably most of us, if we have the same kind of pressures that wealth brings, and believe me, wealth brings pressure, it brings pressure and temptations that most of us don't experience in life. We would handle it probably no better. All right, now you think on that for just a moment. You would probably handle it no better with the tests and the pressures and the temptations that come with large amounts of wealth. But, so, so I don't want to get way down this rabbit, rabbit trail and, and try to say that, 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 that we ought to be seeking wealth. But I do want to help you understand that, 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 that neither is, poverty is not a virtue either. 
All right, now, back to that verse for just a moment, though. It actually doesn't say that strong men seek riches. We shouldn't be seeking wealth. We should be seeking to honor God. We should be seeking to honor God with the tools that he's given us. And in the case of some men, the tools that he's given them is to acquire wealth. I don't think that's my tool set. And for most of us, that's not your tool set. (laughs) But for some of you, it is. And if it is, then you need to acquire, through dominion and power, wealth to be used to the glory of God. But the verse doesn't actually say seek riches. It actually says retain. And that's a contrast, and that's probably an important word. It says a, a, a gracious woman retains honor, retains it, and the strong man retains riches. Retain means you're, you're going to keep what you begin with. Now, in the case of ladies, imagine this. You have a child who's standing here. If I had a seven-year-old girl who's standing right here, just imagine one of these children standing right here, one of these, a seven-year-old girl all dressed up nice and pretty. We can say she is a relatively speaking, pure and pristine child that is, that is, is you know, she, she's made no great bad tragic decisions, all right? Now, her goal in life ought to be to keep it that way. <laughs> now, a, a gracious woman is going to retain her honor. A lot of women don't retain their honor through choices they make as they get older. And men... We are designed to retain, at least retain, the assets that we have, the riches that we have, the inheritance that we receive. If you receive an inheritance, you should not squander that inheritance, gentlemen. That is, that is a treasure that's to be used for the furtherance of God's use. Now, I maybe have digressed a little bit here, but I, don't, I was afraid I'd be misunderstood. Um, all right, so moving along, we've got we to pick up the pace, I see. So men find fulfillment in achievement while women find fulfillment in relationships. Let's go to the second area, all right? Let's go to a problem. Under the stress of a problem, men tend to withdraw while women seek to connect. Men tend to withdraw while women seek to connect. You see, for men, beyond identifying the problem, they don't usually want to talk much about it. They'll want to talk a little bit. They want to identify the problem. And once the problem's been identified, that's enough conversation about the problem. So rather, what they typically do is they engage in a familiar distraction so that they can think and find a solution. They want to think and find a solution. Now, this approach is analytical. Essentially, what they're doing is they're going to take the problem apart and then fix each part. We identify the problem. We think about the problem. And we need to escape. We need to think about the problem. And then we come back and we take it apart. Part, 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 part. We fix this part, and this part, and this part, and this part. And then once we've fixed all the parts of the problem, the whole problem is now resolved. All right, that's the approach of men. It's an analytical approach. It's a good approach. (laughs) It often works. Not always. It's a little bit the way men repair things. You repair a broken door or a broken piano or you repair an engine. We tend to have that same approach to repairing a human relationship problem. 
And that's a male approach to, to human relationships problems. Occasionally I get dragged into counseling, which I'm happy to try. I don't consider myself a very good counselor, but I'll, I'll give it a whirl. If they ask me for help, sure, I'll help if I can. So I take the normal male approach. Find the, identify the problem, find the parts. Okay, fix this part, fix this part, fix this part, fix this part. Relationships healed, right? Well, not always. <laughs> All right. And for women, they'd say, you know, I, I just, you know, that, that maybe that falls short. Well, it's because women seek to understand problems in a different way. All right. So women seek to understand, let's talk about ladies for a moment. Women seek to understand the motives and the feelings of the people involved. The motives and the feelings. Now to do that, they have to discuss the problem to identify hidden factors below the surface. They have to discuss the problem to identify hidden factors below the surface. And this is one of the reasons why women, when there is a stressed situation, they, they have a real need to, to talk about it. And maybe they need to talk quite a bit, talk a lot. They need to connect with someone and really talk the problem through. I mean, really talk it through. <laughs> Whereas a man, we've identified the problem. That's enough talk, conversation. But for a lady, you see, they are looking for the motives of the, of the people involved. They're trying to understand the feelings of the people involved. And they're looking at these factors that they believe are hidden, that are beneath the surface. And so to, to find those hidden factors... You have to do some exploration. <laughs> All righty, and that requires a lot of communication. Essentially, this is a holistic approach. Holistic. That is, the, the ladies are looking for a sweeping, comprehensive solution. A very sweeping, comprehensive solution because while a man thinks we've got this part, this part, and this part that are connected in a, in a few ways, Ladies find that there's a whole realm of connectivity, and you can't just take the parts and separate them out the way men tend to want to do. All right, so this approach is holistic, and they seek to find this sweeping, comprehensive solution. So often this brings men and ladies to loggerheads when you're dealing with a circumstance of life that's stressful and difficult that involves other people. It's pretty common that their approach is different. So a little advice, men need to listen to their wives' conversation. Uh, and, and in listening, listening and responding patiently, they're going to gain an understanding and a perspective that they didn't have before. Secondly, for ladies, women need to understand that their suddenly stoic husband is not necessarily avoiding the problem. Women shouldn't assume because he goes out to the shop to work for a while just after you've dumped a big problem on him that he's avoiding it. You've, the, the problem has been encountered, he's identified the problem, he's recognized the problem, he says, okay, I need to think about it, and then he walks away. Well, he really does need to think about it, and he's not necessarily avoiding the problem, the way a, a lady might assume. And then he'll come back, and he'll often come back with some real proposed solutions because he's taken the problem apart in his head while he's been chipping away at his woodworking or whatever, and he's taken the problem apart in the back of his mind, and now he's got some ideas, and he has a pathway forward. All right, let's look at another aspect of the relationship between the genders and how they look at circumstances of life. 
fear. Okay, fear is one of the greatest motivators in life. Fear, anxiety. One of the greatest fears for men is to fail in front of their peers. Failure in front of their peers. For ladies, one of the greatest fears is losing a key relationship. Now, for men, the fear of failure, and this is pretty strong in men, very strong in young men. And as I've watched young men grow from youths to adult, I can perceive how many of them make choices about life based on their fear of failure. And they choose not to do this because they are afraid of failure. And they choose not to do that because they're afraid of failure. It happens a lot with young men. But they won't admit it, and they won't talk about it, but I understand it, and I see it, and I remember. I remember. Men really do have a fear of failure. And it is a singular motivation in, in, in limiting some of the choices they make, which is natural. That's not necessarily terrible. It's not necessarily bad, of course. So the choices have to be made, and so maybe that does help them winnow, down, winnow out some of their choices about what they want to do with their life, how they want to make a living, what occupation to choose, and things of this nature. But overcoming fear is quite important. And one of the ways that men can learn to overcome their fear and can gain confidence and courage. For men, this fear of failure is going to be overcome when he feels needed. When he feels needed. All right? And meeting a need is going to prove his ability to take dominion. Men want to take dominion. They've been wired to take dominion. They want to succeed in that dominion. They don't want to fear. They don't want to fail. And so they want to find an area of dominion that they can succeed in. All right? And meeting the needs of someone is a way that they can prove their ability to take dominion. Essentially what it boils down is to men long to be providers. There's an innate aspect of their being that says, I want to provide for someone that's right, that's proper, that's good. It needs to be cultivated and encouraged. I want to be a provider. Now, you can see this in different places. Now, I've just looked in Genesis 45. I've written that down, and I won't read it. But you can at your own pleasure. That's the story of Joseph and how Joseph was a provider. He, 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 was, a, he was this powerful provider for his family. And his other brothers wanted to be providers as well. And during this intense dearth, this, this great famine, a historic famine. In fact, I've even read a little bit about this famine uh, possibly had an impact on world history, although that's another story. But this great dearth and during this great famine, you have these brothers who want to provide for their family. And they're trying to figure out the best avenue to meet this, the needs of their family and to be providers. Now, so men uh, have this desire to be providers and they have to work their way through the fear of failure. Now, women have a have another anxiety that is pretty strong. Women long for emotional support. All right? They long for emotional support. They desire this greatly. And they're very eager to secure the loyalty of a man. They're very eager to secure that loyalty. Now, I'd like you to look at a couple of stories out of Genesis. Maybe you can look at these stories that you know well with new eyes. All right? Go to Genesis chapter 16. 
Genesis chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. You'll recall the story that Abraham was promised a son, and a son was not forthcoming. Sarah, Sarai, did not become pregnant. In Genesis 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And, but she had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, and it may be that I may obtain children by her. That is a remarkable suggestion to come from a lady. Now, it was not entirely unheard of in ancient times for great ladies who had an important husband who needed an heir very badly that they might use this solution. Sarah did not invent this possible solution. But nonetheless, it was a very uh, difficult and painful circumstance that had to bring her to the point where she offered this as a suggestion. It wasn't Abram's idea. Although he, he went for the deal. <laughs> he agreed. <laughs> so what was in the mind of Sarah that stimulated her to want him to have an heir so badly that she would share her husband with another lady? Well, it's because that there was a relationship. The relationship between her and her husband was, a, was damaged. There was a breach. She felt the breach. And she was desperate to resolve this breach in any way she could with her husband. She had a desire and a longing for this relationship to be restored to some degree. And she was willing to risk even another lady entering the equation in the hopes that this relationship could be restored and her husband would not blame her for not producing an heir. Now, if you say, well, you're kind of reading a lot into it, this is, this is actually a very familiar strategy. Now, let's, let's look a little further. I think, I think you'll find an even more obvious but similar circumstance in Genesis 29. Turn to Genesis 29, verse 30. We're going to begin reading here couple of verses, 30, and we'll read on down to 35, I'd say, or somewhere about there. So Genesis chapter, uh, let's see, 29 and verse number 30. Yeah, we'll pick it up there. It says, this is referring to Jacob. Now, you'll recall Jacob and his two sister wives, Rachel and Leah says, he, that's Jacob, went in also unto Rachel, and he loved Rachel, all, he, he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. All right, so we got the two, he's got two wives, and he loves one more than the other. Now that's a problem. <laughs> we, got some, we got some trouble in paradise here. And then it says in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now let's look at, at Leah for a minute. Let's keep reading. It says, And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. She was happy to have a son. What she wanted more than a son was her husband's love. Can you see that? I think it's true. 
Verse 33, she conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath given me therefore me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me. Now the joining that she was hoping with her husband in verse number 34 wasn't about a physical joining. She already had that. And she had the proof of three boys to, to note that they were physically joined. <laughs> but they were not bonded in a relationship that she wanted. There was a breach in the relationship and she was desperate to overcome that breach. And she was happy to have the sons. But she was really longing and desperate for a relationship with her husband. Verse 35, and she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord, therefore she called his name Judah and left bearing. She thought, was thinking, really, surely after four sons, my husband will really, really love me. But continue on. Now we can go to chapter 30. <laughs> and when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Now, Rachel was worried about not having children, but she was losing her husband. She was desperate. She was losing her husband. So this is what she was wanting. If we can drop down the story a little further, she says, Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali. Now, after Naphtali was born... All right, we, we see something here. Um, Rachel is only having success with the handmaid. Um, Rachel still hadn't had any children. But you see, when Rachel said she prevailed, she, she prevailed in the tug of war over her husband. That was what was really going on here. It was a tug of war over the affections of Jacob. She had regained in her, her sense of confidence in their relationship with her husband. Now we can continue on in this passage, but you'll get the same sense. It goes back to Leah. You know, in verse 20, it's, this pendulum now swings the other way. Leah said... God hath endowed me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I've borne him six sons. I've won my husband back again. So Jacob is being furiously fought over regarding the affections of his two wives. They are desperate to gain his affection. They want his loyalty. And this was one of the ancient strategies that women used to capture their husband's affections. Now, of course, women today... I believe, really, they have similar anxieties. Many women do. I'm not trying to say that this is a broad sort of thing in the sense that women are walking around totally freaking out about losing their husbands. But I do think it, it lurks within the breast of an awful lot of ladies. That, and so women today have other methods to keep their man's loyalty, such as maintaining their youthfulness. It's really one of the reasons that women are eager to maintain their youthfulness in comparison with the other ladies that are round about, you see. They may be perfectly content until a new lady enters the arena, or enters the realm of their, of their lives. 
and a, a new anxiety can arise that wasn't there before. And so uh, this is a, uh, a, a real issue for ladies, losing a key relationship. And it tells us and explain, helps us understand that women really are relationship-oriented in, in a very large way. Now, there's a little bit of advice I could give for each. Actually, there's probably a lot of advice we could give, but I'm just going to give you two points, one for men and one for ladies. For men, now, men need to do their very best to offer their wives more frequent affirmations of their love and their commitment and their loyalty. Women need those affirmations more than men realize. You can't say, well, sure, she knows I love her. Of course she knows I love her. I don't need to be telling her that I love her every day or anything like that. She knows it. <laughs> well, it, it, it wouldn't be a good idea. It would be a very good idea, rather, to, to, to give her as much affirmation as, as you can. And it's not easy for men to do because they're not wired in that direction. Ladies, on the other hand, um, I believe that women need to curb, to the best of their ability, the sense that they're independent. And, and, and embrace their dependency upon the man. And make him, make him feel like, uh, like your hero. It's a, that's a good strategy to, to, to try to cultivate that affection. I don't mean in a manipulative way. Just, just let him know that, 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 that he uh, is, is, is important and you're dependent upon him. You really need him. You need him because he wants to feel needed. Now, let's continue in terms of the area of communication. Let's go to our third point. Men have a tendency to interpret language in a different way than ladies. Men interpret language at face value while women seek secondary meaning. It's a pretty common phenomenon. Men interpret language at face value. Women often seek a secondary meaning. And, and there's reasons for this. Men tend to think in terms of information. And as men assess information, they try to focus on a central idea isolated from peripheral pieces of data. That is to say, men intuitively say, well, we've got here where we're talking about a, a topic, a problem, and we have all these points of data here in this problem. Men want to take all the data points and they want to say, okay, that doesn't, we don't need to worry about that information and this information, and we're going to narrow down. This is the central problem. Kind of sweep the desk clear of all this stuff, sweep all this off the desk, and we're left with the central database, the central facts, just the facts, ma'am, just give me the facts. We don't need all the other things, just the simple facts. And so there's a central idea that's isolated away from the peripheral uh, points of data, all right? And men tend to think in these kinds of terms. And so they're taking the information at face value, and, and it is what it is. All right? And here's the central idea. Now, women tend to express feelings. All right? Now, that isn't, isn't, that isn't a slam on women. So men say, oh, women are just about feelings, and feelings just this ephemeral stuff, this ethereal ephemeral stuff that doesn't really, isn't really, doesn't matter at all. Now, feelings are real. Feelings are very real. And in human relationships, uh, when women are communicating and seeking out feelings and motives and things of this nature, that is also a reality. But in doing so, in doing so, they have a hard time 
recognizing that any piece of information is peripheral. So if a man says, okay, that's not really relevant. That's not really relevant. Let's keep the discussion on topic. That's not, no, let's stay on top. This is the topic. We're going to solve this problem. That's not relevant. That's not relevant. A lady's saying, no, wait a minute. This is relevant because this topic is related to this topic, 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 because all this peripheral information is relevant to a lady. Everything is relevant, especially, especially sometimes we find that the most relevant information, at least to a lady, might be, when you're dealing, when you're looking at the feelings and the motives, is that which is actually unsaid. So if we spread out all the facts, all right, and the man is busy sweeping irrelevant facts off the desk, a lady is saying, no, 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 let's keep all that. And then she's saying, I see all this, and there's still some things missing. <laughs> the things that haven't been said are probably the most important things we need to understand. We've got to discover more. And so when a lady says, I've got to go on a discovery trip for more information, it's not completely crazy or bizarre because from their point of view, they're really looking at, at, at finding this comprehensive solution. All right? So everything is relevant. Now this leads us to a different topic. Um, and it, it's worth considering uh, the, how this can work in, in, in areas of strength and weakness. All right? So I'd like to talk about an area of strength for men and an area of weakness for ladies, and this takes us into the New Testament. Now, if I was, I suppose, in some congregations, I would probably be in big trouble for reading this next passage. But here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 2. All right, because this turns out that there's a strength for men and a weakness for ladies. But then we'll look at it in the other, the other way around. But for a moment, reading 1 Timothy chapter 2, we find uh, these pretty strong words from a modern point of view. 1 Timothy 2, beginning of verse 11, says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. And I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, and Eve, then, Eve, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she'll be saved in childbearing, and it goes on. So, what we can derive from this is just one simple point that, that, that I think is important for a congregation. As I bring out in the final few minutes we've got here, it's a, a point that has to be on the table for our age. Men are called to be leaders in establishing doctrine. They are leaders in establishing doctrine. And this, is, this and other passages, we could go to 1 Corinthians 11, but this and other passages in the New Testament make this pretty plain. And in the general tenor of Scripture at large, you can see that this is a reality. Now you could ask, well, why? Why is it that men have the prerogative and the responsibility and in fact are, are commanded to take the lead and women are commanded to fall back? in this area, that is, take the, the back seat. Well, it's a little speculative, but I believe it might be going back to the how, how information is assessed. 
by men and ladies. It could be that in the world of ideas, and I think this is true in the world of ideas, not all information really is of equal value. When you're dealing with abstract ideas, and theology is, is, it takes you into the world of the abstract that you have to work out out here conceptually, and then you bring it down in some kind of a reality to where we're at. That's what theology does. It's, it's, it's all about God. Theo is God. We're talking about the abstract conceptual world then brought down to reality. Because in the world of ideas, not all ideas are equal. Not all facts are equal. Not all information is equally relevant. And there has to be discrimination to be able to zero in and get the concept right without the extra items, without the extra, shall we say, the extra fluff. And so it's this, this prospect of, of discriminating and zeroing in that men have a greater talent in. And so that, that's my take on this particular principle. Now there's something pretty important though. And that's dealing with this business about a, this comprehensive sense of finding solutions and women's comprehensive view of life, all right? One of the things that we have to always bear in mind, and if you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, women have an aptitude and a talent that men do not have and cannot cultivate to, ver to, a very good to any great degree. And this is dealing with the fact that women, all right, Females, women, are the vessels of life. All right? Women are the vessels of life. When a new life comes forth, <laughs> a lady is responsible for making that possible. Now, sometimes when Julie has gotten into an argument, Julie, <laughs> and she's scolding one of her sons, she'll say, you listen to me. I gave you life. <laughs> or maybe it's more like this. If it's Eric, if it's Eric, you listen to me, I gave you life. <laughs> it seems like a winning argument. I have the urge to correct her and say, well, actually, you helped an awful lot, but God gave him life. But then again, that's me being a man. And I'm trying to look at the narrow, you know, get all this, get the facts right. You see, i got to narrow it down, the facts right. Her larger point is correct. My fine and narrow point is correct. And, uh, well, either way, you know, Eric's on the losing end of the scolding. <laughs> but the, the point needs to be remembered, okay? Women are vessels of life. Now, I'm going to read for you a couple of passages from the Gospel of Luke. And, and, and I want you to understand, as we read these, try to read them with fresh eyes, in the sense that, that there is something incredibly unique about the, the, the gifts that God has given a female. So, if females, if you, if, ladies, if you feel like, well, gee, okay, I'm not supposed to be at the leading edge of theology, well, there is something you're supposed to be at the leading edge of that is extraordinarily important. And it, it, it has all to do with life. And it's not just childbirth, but it, these verses do deal with childbirth. But let's just read a few verses. Let me read for you Luke chapter 1. Now, we all know the general stories about the birth of Jesus, but these are very beautiful passages, and they're interesting, and they bear in our conversation. So beginning in Luke chapter number 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, 
to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now we could go on with the story of, of Mary and this incredible, uh, miraculous event that was going to engulf her life and engulf her purpose and destiny. And it was all about being a vessel to bring forward new life, and in this case, life that was uniquely special, life that was, that was, that was a Holy Spirit involved in a way that no other human life has, has, has begun. But the story continues. I'd like to drop down in the story. There's all kinds of great things we could read here in the Gospel of Luke, but you know the story generally. So Mary, after receiving this great visitation from the angel, decides to take a little visit and she goes to visit her kinfolk lady named Elizabeth. All right, so let's drop down our story to verse 39. It says, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass, when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believe, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. So we see that these two ladies, Elizabeth and Mary, are, are uniquely uh, being used as vessels of new life, and every lady has that potential. Every lady has that talent and has that gift. Now, let me just make this clear. Even aside from childbearing, all right, aside from childbearing, the women are better equipped to perceive the comprehensive needs of living creatures, all right, aside from childbearing. So even a lady who never has a child, she has a unique gift that a man doesn't have to perceive the comprehensive needs of other living creatures creatures. Now, sometimes people are going to throw out the word and call that nurture. Women have this desire, this innate need, this innate talent and aptitude for nurture, nurturing living things. And when I say nurturing living things, sometimes that involves, it's going to, it may involve pets. You see little old ladies with, that don't have any children anymore, and they have pets, and they put the little coat on the pet, and they buy things for their pet, and they treat the pet like a baby. That probably that energy could be redirected better elsewhere. <laughs> but it's still fulfilling. It's still fulfilling an innate need in her own life. And it and it, it just it's just a it's just a natural thing that ladies have this comprehensive talent for. All right, so. 
So women have this unique gift of God to be able to perceive these comprehensive needs of other living creatures. Now, in closing, let me just make a few statements here to kind of wrap up some of these thoughts. First of all, all of us are part of a society. Now, historically, the society we belong to once was called Western Christian Civilization. I guess we could still call it Western because we don't think and act and function like the Chinese, the Japanese, the Koreans, the Vietnamese, the Indians and the Bangladeshis and Pakistanis and so forth from the East. We're part of the West. And the West has a different way of looking at the world and looking at many, many things. We're probably living in a post-Christian society at large. But what we want to do and what you want to be part of, I hope, is part of a subculture, a Christian subculture. And this Christian subculture that we can build is biblically based, and it's a a little mini-civilization of our own. And this subculture, this mini-civilization of our own is still going to be Christian. We're going to live by choice, in our own Christian biblical bubble. And we're going to make it the best bubble we can. All righty, now, one of the important things that we have to do to, to build a Christian civilization, to maintain a Christian civilization, to maintain a Christian bubble, a biblical bubble, we're going to get that when men and women attend to their God-given tasks for which they're uniquely suited. So I've tried to summarize it and boil it down into two things for each, all right? So in summary, I'd like to say this. Men are well-equipped for this. Men are well-equipped for the dominion task. Now, the dominion task really means, bear in mind, ultimately, and this is sort of one of those economic principles you may learn, ultimately, all wealth comes from the earth. All wealth comes from the earth. doesn't matter what you do, all wealth starts in God's earth, and then you add value to it. If you're a carpenter, the wealth starts with lumber, and you add value. If you're a metal worker, it starts, the wealth starts in God's earth, and you add value. Okay? If you're uh, an accountant, you're adding the value of organizing God's resources as you organize the information and the, where the resources are being allocated to. However it works, whatever it is you do. Men are well equipped now in the dominion task of extracting materials from God's earth and then reshaping those materials to meet people's needs. Men are good at that. They are good at that task. They're uniquely talented extracting materials from God's earth and meeting the real needs of life. Men are also good at grappling with concepts and ideas to provide godly direction. The realm of ideas and concepts and that which is abstract. Men are good at that. You can see that in the cafeteria. Because the men and the ladies gravitate and they talk about different things. The men over here are talking about the same old topics that the women hate. No, I wouldn't say hate. (laughs) But they find dull. The men invariably end up with uh, 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 theology, economics, and politics. And the women are like, oh no. Economics. Here they go again. And so they gravitate over the ladies. And the ladies are inevitably talking about relationships. 
And a man sits down with the ladies and converses about relationships for a few minutes, and he's thinking, we've already talked about this three times. We talked about this in the last potluck, and the potluck before that, and yesterday. I, I, you know, and so he moves over here. But there's more to explore, you see. There's, there's more things to be revealed in the mind of the lady. We have to uncover more information in these relationships so we can get a comprehensive solution by identifying motives and feelings. Meanwhile, so, so men are, 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 are good at these concepts and ideas that provide godly direction, the abstract. They're good at extracting materials from God's earth to provide real needs of life. Ladies, however, are uniquely well-equipped to bring forth new life. Now, every birth is like a small miracle. Every birth is this l- a brand new little miracle. And there's lots of little miracles of life all the time. It might just be a flowering plant. It might be a new calf. It might be kittens that, you, that have been born. But all the new life that, is, that ladies are uniquely gifted in seeing this in a comprehensive way that, 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 that men are not as good at innately. Because inevitably, men are going to take this analytical approach, even dealing with uh, agriculture and things that ladies feel is, are going to have a sense that, that can be done in a, in, in a more comprehensive way. So at any rate, now, and, and last here, and this is really a, a, an important closing point as I bring this to a conclusion here. There's something else that women are well equipped to. And this is another, it's kind of an, in, it's not really an intangible, yet it's, um, it's we call it beauty. Yes. All right, beauty. All right. Women are well equipped equipped to bring beauty and culture, beauty and culture into our homes and our churches and our communities. Now, life without beauty and without culture, or life without women and the gift that women can bring, means that life is dull and pointless and somewhat sterile. You can imagine, I think I've used this illustration before, but for the sake of those who might not have heard it. Imagine this is the West, and the year is 1880. And there is, in the West, in the mountains, there is a, a gold and silver strike. And so men rush out and begin to dig and dig and dig. And they stake their claims, and they compete, and they jostle against each other, and occasionally have a fist fight or even a shootout in competition to get the resource to take dominion. And so the first little town that grows up is filled with nothing but a town of men. And it's a wild and ugly place. It's an ugly place. (laughs) There's no beauty. There's nothing to it. And then the gold and silver kind of plays out. Some of the men leave. Some of the men stay. And they say, well, okay, we're, gonna, we're not going to dig gold anymore. We'll go into lumber. We'll start cutting down trees. We'll develop a lumber industry. Or we'll have a, the, the, the mining industry goes into a more uh, predictable pattern. And so it becomes a, little, becomes a more normal community. And guess who arrives? It's the women. The women then arrive after three or four years. And they say, this is a disgusting mess. I can't believe you guys are living this way. And they're all hanging their heads. Oh, I know. My mother would be so ashamed of me. So, and the women say, hey, 
all right, we've got to build a school. We've got to build a church. They're like, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, we should have had a church already, but we were too busy digging and we we're too busy fighting and, you know, shoving. We had to get that gold, you know, and so, so it becomes a real community. And they, they hang out the flowers and they straighten the streets and they paint the buildings and they build new homes and, and homes. And, th- and, now it's, and now it becomes a, a place of beauty worth living in. Amen. Where before it was just a mess. They were taking dominion, but dominion for what purpose? Well, it was kind of a, without ladies, the, the, the dominion of men doesn't really go anywhere. <laughs> so it takes both. And, in, in, and, there, and the, the complementary ways that men and women are, are innately put together go back to these gender differences that are far more than just skin deep, but they go to the inner core of who we really are. They go into the depths of our biology, probably into our soul, maybe even into our spirit. And men and ladies have to, uh, we have to acknowledge these things in order for us to have the kind of culture that is Christian and biblical that we really want to have. Because we can't count on the larger culture, uh, you know, holding its own. So we've got to build our own, we've got to, we've got to build our own bubble. And that's, this is one of the tools that we're going to need to do that. All right, well, thank you for your kind patience, and I am finally concluded.